In 2017, documentary filmmakers Don Argot and Sheena Joyce released the film Batman and Bill. It pulled into light one of the best known but seldom discussed injustices done to workers in the comic book industry. You see, for nearly 70 years, a man named Bob Kane received the credit on all Batman and Batman-related media. It turned out, however, that many aspects we know today about the Cape Crusader originated in the mind of a ghostwriter named Bill Finger, whose work was downplayed or ignored by DC Comics and Bob Kane. During their journey, they formed an alliance with Bill Finger's few remaining family members to do what was thought impossible. Through their patience, perseverance, and a little luck, they actually beat DC Comics, a megacorporation, essentially. Now, every appearance of the Dark Knight includes created by Bob Kane with Bill Finger. History is full of these moments, stolen from us by the sheer volume of what is happening in the world. Despite my lifelong love for the figure, I never realized how dark the world of Batman was, even in its foundation. The glass floor had been completely shattered for me. So as I dug more into this story, the webs of other pieces of comic book history began to show. And that's what this is my exploration and highlighting of the history of comics, inspired by the hard work of Don Argot and Sheena Joyce, who highlighted a wrong and despite the odds, made it right. Banning books, music, games, or films isn't a new fad. Moral outrage has always been all the rage. In the last year, book bans have seemingly been on the rise as more and more adults seek to control access that all people have to these materials. Graphic novels, comics, whatever shorthand you use for it, have been treated no differently. It's always difficult to place where these bans start with so many instances flying under the radar, but the recent attack on graphic novels came to light with the major events in Texas where a single person was able to get the graphic novel New Kid taken off the library shelf at their child's school. It's a tale as old as time, true as it can be. Barely even published, then someone calls it rubbished. Banning books in schools. The nice thing about history is that learning it can help promote change and growth. It can inform us so that way we can make better decisions moving forward. So let's go back to the first time this happened in the comic book world. How it began with the best intentions and maybe figure out how we can approach it in the future. This week we're going to discuss Dr. Frederick Wortham, who on his own nearly destroyed an entire artistic medium. Comic books have given us some of the longest-lasting characters who inspire and sometimes motivate us to do better. Sadly, the industry behind them is not beholden to such ideals. From controversial stories and censorship to double-crossing companies leaving creators in obscurity, 
The history of sequential art is dark, deep, and complex. In comic books, there is a name for the tomes that we dig through, exploring the full history, good and bad, of the characters we love. These are Back Issues. In 1947, the world was still recovering from World War II. During the war, the U.S. had a strained alliance with the Soviet Union, with a lot of tensions building in the post-war era. Instead of outright combative war, the two countries entered into a Cold War. Spies, distrust, secret meetings, and hidden agendas. The issue that frightened the American people the most was that their new enemies were supposedly among them, infiltrating the very fabric of American culture. An aspect of this you can see even in recent films such as Black Widow from Marvel, where as a child she is a Russian spy that has infiltrated the United States government with her family. To ease fears in the US, President Truman signed into act an executive order that would test all federal civil service workers for their loyalty to the nation. For those somewhat aware of this era, this was the time of McCarthyism, when accusations alone could ruin the lives of anyone who had a finger pointed at them. It was a practice we had seen before. If you had a problem with somebody, you accused them of being a witch, I mean, of being a communist, with little to no evidence, and bring down whole institutions, companies, ideas, with some going so far as to take lives. These events led to a country looking for scapegoats for all of their problems, whether they were real or perceived, because the U.S. was the greatest nation. We couldn't be the problem, right? A year after President Truman signed that executive order into effect, an article was published in a popular magazine titled Collier's, and the article was called A Horror in the Nursery. I mean, chef's kiss, pre-internet clickbait at its finest. The author claimed to have an answer for one of the problems plaguing the great nation of the USA, the rise in childhood delinquency. The answer was simple. Comic books were the reason and they even had the backing and quotations from a leading psychiatrist in New York, Dr. Frederick Wortham. So that's the climate at the time, in a nutshell. But where did Wortham come from? Dr. Wortham had grown up rather normally, but by his college years he ended up studying at multiple English and German universities, finally graduating from the University of Würzburg in 1921. During his time in England, the First World War actually erupted. Rather quickly, the British government placed those with German heritage into internment camps. While intended for the safety of the British public, this practice always has roots in inhuman treatment. It was during this time, in an internment camp, that Dr. Wortham began to form ideas on how experiences and external stimuli can affect the mental well-being of a person. When he returned home, 
he began to work with a renowned psychiatrist named Emil Kraepelin. Kraepelin was studying the very concepts that Wortham had explored firsthand during the war. The lab the two worked in was very prominent and studied other concepts that still apply to this day. For example, this was the lab that Alois Alzheimer studied the underlying causes of Alzheimer's disease. You guessed it. So yeah, this place was a big deal. Now back to Kreplin for a second. According to Britannica Online, he studied the effects of drugs, alcohol, and fatigue on psychological functioning, and in 1881 published a study of the influence of infectious diseases on the onset of mental illness. In simpler terms, he was studying how the outside world, diseases, and our own actions affected mental health, and how mental health in turn affected our bodies. He was at the forefront of understanding mental illnesses over a century ago. Reading through some of his work makes it feel like we might not have come as far as we would like to think. Eventually, Dr. Wortham left Europe to work at John Hopkins Hospital, where he garnered attention and was actually asked to direct a future clinic that would be the first clinic in the United States in which all convicted felons received a psychiatric examination that was then turned over to the court. This was exciting because he would have the opportunity to explore the complicated lives of those who had broken laws and made supposedly immoral choices. He wanted to understand what made these people tick and how he could use their experiences to inform treatment and preventative measures for future patients. After some more time, Dr. Wortham used his experience at this position to write a book titled Dark Legend, which was a psychiatric examination of a fictional Italian man that he created as a, an amalgam of all the men he had worked with. This book is where the story truly begins, as it's the first example of Dr. Wortham tying crime to influences in popular culture, specifically noting comics, film, and radio stories, which, for those who don't know, are kind of like podcasts of the time. This book came to the attention of novelist Richard Wright, who was filled with confusion and guilt. Not because of the book. You see, Richard Wright had been corresponding with a prisoner for some time, and he later petitioned the governor to get the man pardoned for his crime of murder. Wright at the time believed that the former prisoner was so knowledgeable and well-spoken that he could not be capable of further violence. After the prisoner's release, the two even became close friends, sharing family dinners together, probably going out to the local arcade or mini golf or whatever it is people did then. Sadly, this man would eventually commit a second murder, which shattered Wright's own belief about how the mind works. When Wright read Dark Legend, he was completely enthralled. It explained the complex nature of the mind and how it can be twisted to commit acts that seem out of character. And so, Wright contacted Dr. Wortham and the two formed a partnership to study this phenomena. Together, the two men developed an opinion on the origins of criminal behavior 
and how our experiences can inform our current mental state. Wortham and Wright believed that, quote, psychotherapy could alleviate much of the psychic strain that engendered violence with others and oneself, and that a recognition of the social realities of American life, racism, violence, and economic exploitation could provide a weapon in the quest for racial injustice. The two were not meant to be a dynamic duo, however. They would find one more conspirator before their work could begin. They would eventually find this third in Reverend Sheldon Hell Bishop of the St. Philip's Episcopal Church. Reverend Bishop was a passionate man, but he had become dissatisfied with the nature of his work. He found that prayers and good intentions were not sufficient in changing the lives of his parishioners, who were mostly low-income black people trying to live day-to-day in the neighborhood of Harlem. According to Under the Strain of Color, a book that dives deep into Wortham's work with Reverend Bishop, when Bishop's followers attempted to receive mental health services, they would be directed to, quote, Bellevue, or they claimed that black people only needed life's basics before turning them away. At this time, schools were still segregated. Even after admitting black Americans into the armed services during World War II, they were still considered second-class citizens. Even with the ability to vote, poll taxes were used to turn black voters away at polling stations across the country. As for the comment about Bellevue, the general consensus was that, quote, blacks at Bellevue were treated according to the reigning stereotypes of black inferiority and puerility. What I'm really trying to say is that the system in place had learned to build walls to keep Reverend Bishop's flock from being cared for. And so a deal was struck. Reverend Bishop would allow the use of some rooms in the basement of his church for Wortham to use as a treatment clinic for the people of his parish. They called it the Lafargue Mental Health Clinic, and it had one simple goal. Help the people of Harlem. The clinic was only able to open two days a week and was staffed solely by volunteers. Despite these limitations, the waiting room was constantly full. Opening up in a noteworthy black church, he was able to quickly gain the trust of the community. Every member of the clinic, the social workers, psychiatrists, and even Reverend Bishop, worked hard to address the difficulties that each patient faced. Dr. Wortham was also beginning to build evidence that would back his life's work. Outside of the clinic, Dr. Wortham was butting heads with many of his peers. He was quoted saying, All the progressive theories and treatments in the world would mean little if the majority of people never had access to psychotherapy. Essentially, he was accusing his peers of only meeting the needs of the most fortunate members of society. On top of having difficulty with the leading figures in psychiatry, his partner Richard Wright actually decided to leave the country and the Lafarge Clinic behind. In their experiences together, Wright became fearful of the racial prejudices his own children would face in the U.S. These factors had a profound impact on Dr. Wortham's perception of the world around him. 
At that time, however, he didn't have a lot of time to focus on addressing his own issues. A very important battle for the soul of the nation was occurring, and his work could right one of the greatest injustices in American history. And that's going to be next time on Back Issues. Back Issues was written, edited, and birthed by me, Marcus Robertson, with research from the New York Times, Slate, and the book Under the Strain of Color, a study by Gabriel N. Mendes for Cornell Studies in the History of Psychiatry. I really hope that you are enjoying this first season and that you continue to do so. If you do, consider subscribing and going to my social media links below and saying hello. Furthermore, if you are willing to give, I do have a Patreon and you can find that link below as well. I want to continue to explore all that comics have to offer and I can share that journey with your help. Thank you all so much for giving me your valuable time. You're the best, and I cannot wait to share more with all of you.